Happy 2024 and welcome to the Sooner Schooner Show. I'm Eric G from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. Sorry we're getting this to you a little bit later during the week, but with Monday being a holiday and us getting back to work on Tuesday, this is kind of the only time I can actually clear out to record. So coming up today, I will give you my thoughts on Jackson Arnold's performance in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, My biggest takeaways from the Alamo Bowl overall, and I know that that's been beat to death, so I won't spend just a whole hell of a lot of time on it. Uh, Jenny Carlson wrote an interesting article in Sellout Crowd about how Bedlam could end up happening sooner than you thought, and I am going to give you my solution for the bowl games. Everybody got mad after watching Florida State get whipped, so now they want to fix the bowl games. Well, I've got a solution that I believe will work, It won't be good for college football traditionalists, but at this point, what is good for college football traditionalists? Do me a favor, before we get down the road any further, uh, pause for the cause. Give us a five-star rating and write a written review. A five-star rating helps us elevate our content uh, on different platforms, gets it out to more people. The written review tells us what you want more of or or what you want less of. And take a screenshot, give it to Pete Bundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. And then uh, Pete will send you back a Heartland College Sports koozie. All right, so Alamo Bowl in the books. OU wins the year with 10 wins, unfortunately not 11. Um, I I think we can all agree that Arizona was the better team. I don't think there's any part of you right now that is in the first week of January that can't say that Arizona wasn't better OU, wasn't better than OU on that particular night, and I also don't think you're that mad over it. Because let's face it, what were we really concerned about when it came to this game? The only thing we were really concerned about was how Jackson Arnold played. That's all we were looking for. And how he and Seth Luttrell kind of gelled as offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. What was his chemistry like with the receivers? That's all we really wanted to see out of this game was, does OU have their next great quarterback. And while I can't go so far as to say that Jackson Arnold is OU's next Heisman winner, what I can tell you unequivocally is this guy's going to be damn good. And if you couldn't tell that, if, if you couldn't get past the fact that the guy threw three interceptions and turned the ball over four times, if you couldn't get past that to see that his arm strength is better than Dylan Gabriel's, his accuracy is better than Dylan Gabriel's, his explosiveness with running the ball was better than Dylan Gabriel's, then I can't help you. If you're really that upset about an Alamo Bowl loss, then I I think you've sort of tipped the edge as, as a fan at this point because that game didn't matter. Would it have been nice for OU to have 11 wins? Yeah. But more importantly was the development of this young quarterback. And my one criticism of him, look, the three interceptions – Two of them I thought were pretty bad. The third one, really honestly, the third one I give credit to Arizona because I thought that guy just kind of plucked it out of the air. Now, granted, Jackson Arnold threw it right in his vicinity and made it easy for him to pluck it out of the air, but still, I thought it was a hell of a play. So I'm going to give him credit, and if you disagree with me on that, that's fine. You can hit me up at Sports Radio APD and tell me why I'm nuts for giving Arizona too much credit. I did think he held on to the ball a little too long, especially in the early parts of the game and wasn't using his legs enough. But as we saw when he started using his legs, when he pulled the ball down and was decisive about running it, when the receivers were covered, 
guy can make 10, 15 yards a pop, and he's hard to bring down because he's a bit of a big guy. Um, I, I can see Jackson Arnold, when you're put in situations where he doesn't have an open receiver, I can see him rolling off 10, 15 yards and keeping OU in front of the chains. I think he's just he's just that freaking good. The other thing that I love about Jackson Arnold is the guy has touch. And I went back and I watched this right before I started recording today. But that pass that he threw to Nick Anderson in the end zone, OU's down, I think, at that point, 13 to 7. You're in the second quarter. So he's got a chance to give OU the lead. That pass that he threw when he rolled out to his left and then just floated the ball to the back of the end zone. And Nick Anderson made a hell of a catch sliding out of bounds. I think most people in Arizona thought that sucker was out of bounds. But him to Nick Anderson making that catch showed me what kind of touch he can put on the ball and how much he can help his receivers. Right now, it's just a matter of him and Seth Luttrell getting the opportunity to work together over the next nine months, next eight months, whatever it is before OU kicks off, and Jackson Arnold learning the system that Seth Luttrell wants him to learn, which isn't going to be any different than what he's already learned under Jeff Levy. I'm pretty sure that all the terminology, the alignments, everything is pretty much going to be the same. So it ought to be a pretty easy easy transition, but they haven't had time to work together. They don't know each other all that well. And when you only had three weeks to really get him ready, and I know, I know, Jackson Arnold had been there since the beginning of last year. Okay, he's He's been on campus for a year now. He went through spring ball. He went through fall. I get it. But starting is a lot different than coming off the bench. And, and the main reason it's different is you don't get the reps when you're coming off the bench that you do starting. This was his first time to really get the reps at quarterback. And you're working with a whole new offensive coordinator. You had to know that there were going to be mistakes. And, you know, God bless Barry Trammell, giving him a C. I get it. Three interceptions. I can't argue that. I'd probably give him something a little bit higher simply because it was his debut. And you were breaking yourself, you were breaking yourself in against competition that had come in winning six, winning six straight games. Okay, you came in playing a good team. You weren't playing a non-con game against a group of five school, which would have been a lot easier to make that transition. You didn't get that luxury. Three weeks, here you go. You're playing a Pac-12 school, which was the best conference in America. And, uh, oh, by the way, they're coming to Pac-12 slash, I guess, Big 12 school. So there you go. That's who you're playing in in game number one. And yeah, we expect OU to win that game, even though they were underdogs. We expect Jackson Arnold uh, to be better than Noah Fafita. We expect all that. He just wasn't on this particular night. But I have no doubt that through his career, as he progresses over the next few months, and by the time we get to Tennessee in late September, Jackson Arnold will be red hot. He'll be smoking. And all those, those issues that he had, finding the wrong guys, all right, not recognizing things when they, you know, not recognizing defenses as well as he could, um, being indecisive. All those problems will start to work themselves out. I just, I have that feeling. I think this kid is too good not to be one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen at OU over the last 10 years. And that's saying something, okay? I mean, that's that's not a statement to be taken lightly considering the types of players that you've had 
who have been Heisman Trophy winners. But is he a step up from Dylan Gabriel? Yeah. And that was plainly evident when he was playing in the Alamo Bowl. My biggest concern about that game wasn't even so much offensively, because I thought offensively OU, after the first couple of series, once they got their feet under them, and they were able to run the ball with Gavin Sawchuck and Tywee Walker. By the way, shout out to Tywee. Congratulations on your scholarship. Good luck at Wisconsin. Sorry it didn't work out for you here at Oklahoma. Thought you were a hell of a running back. Really wish you would have been on scholarship. Wish you would have wish you would have been able to, to hang around and run over people here in Norman. But, hey, you're doing it up in Madison, Wisconsin. Wish you the absolute best of luck. Once you saw the offense going, I think everybody kind of calmed down and realized that OU's offense is going to be fine. For me, it was the defense that was the much bigger issue in that game. When you give up, by my count, it was 10 plays of 15 yards or more. That's a problem. And I've had people trying to, trying to talk me off the ledge on this one because that's college football. You just have to expect that your defense is going to be giving up big plays. Uh, yeah, but 10? But giving up 10 plays of 15 yards or more? You're not going to win a whole lot of football games doing that. And still, OU had their opportunity to win that game. That's what alarmed me. And what I wonder is with the... The influx of talent, by the way, Woody Washington is a guy coming back. The influx of talent, the experience that you have, can OU truly improve on defense? I was asked today how much better OU's defense was this year compared to what it was that first year under Brent Venables. And and look, it's staggeringly better. But I think we also saw that it's nowhere near what OU was in the early 2000s. One, you don't have those type of players. You don't have the type of players that you that you had in the early 2000s, and OU needs to get those type of guys. Texas has those type of guys, especially up front. But the other thing is, is down, during the season, they got worn down. That I don't know how to stop. Because as long as you've got the transfer portal, and especially since the transfer portal is going to be open during the season, and by during the season I mean the postseason in December – and if you don't make the college football playoffs, you're going to have kids jump into it and kids opt out and and everything else. You're going to be thin. You're going to be thin going into these bowl games. But I think you're thin, period, just because of the transfer portal. Because when kids aren't getting the opportunity to play as much as they want, they move on. And it, and it depletes your depth. So you're, you need size, strength, and depth. Three things that have got to be fixed. Two of those I think you can fix. You can fix size and strength just by the guys that you're recruiting. Although you don't want to sacrifice that for speed, but you need to bo- look. You need as many defensive linemen as you can possibly get. You need to stack defensive linemen if you're OU. That's what Mike Gundy did at Oklahoma State. Um, was Oklahoma State's defense as good this year as they have been in the past few years? No, not really. But it's always good to have as many of those guys as you can possibly get. So defensively, that right now is my biggest concern. I think all these problems are fixable. It's just going to take time. And as far as OU going into the Southeastern Conference next year, I see no reason why they shouldn't be competitive because a fully healthy OU is probably as good as Ole Miss, probably as good as Missouri. Both those teams won their bowl games. Uh, Missouri's defense did so very convincingly on Ohio State, and Ole Miss did so very convincingly 
in their bowl game as well against Penn State. And I have to think that OU talent-wise is at least as good as they are, and they got both them on the schedule, so I don't see why OU shouldn't be competitive. I don't see why OU shouldn't beat Tennessee when they show up in Norman or South Carolina. Your biggest concerns on that schedule are back-to-back weeks of LSU and Alabama. Well, actually, strike that, reverse it. Like Like Willie Wonka said, you know, Alabama one week, LSU the next. And it's not that Auburn is going to be a cupcake or any of the other schools they've got, but I still feel that OU's talent, based on what I saw on Saturday, is as good as about as anybody's on their schedule. Think about Alabama. Alabama had their struggles this year, all right? You know, LSU's defense wasn't as good as it has been in the past. So if you want to feel excited and want to feel reasonably confident about what OU should be able to accomplish in the SEC, just go back and look at LSU season and look at Alabama season and ask yourself if what you're seeing from those two teams, which will be right now the two toughest teams that OU has to play on their schedule, are they really that much further ahead of Oklahoma? And by the time Oklahoma plays LSU, LSU might be worn down. LSU got a hell of a schedule next year. I think they play UCLA and USC in the non-con. I don't know who the hell hates them, um, but yeah, that's 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 a bit much to chew. And I love the way OU's non-con sits up with teams like Tulane and Houston and Temple and Maine mixed in there with, with all the, the dominant SEC powers, which leads me to this, and, and I should have transitioned earlier on this, but Florida State getting their tail kicked has got everybody so riled up about bowl season. It just absolutely cracks me up how people right now, when it comes to bowl season, are like, right now it needs a change, man. We didn't we didn't need to see Florida State. It was really good all year long. Get bludgeoned by Georgia. So we got to change the, the, the bowl season. Okay. Um, one, you could wait to open the transfer portal till January. That would certainly help. Uh, two, get the NIL under control, which would certainly help kids being – tempted from going from one school to another that that you know those are just a couple of ideas but they're the most obvious ideas one thing that you cannot fight on bowl season or actually there's a couple of things you can't fight on bowl season one kids don't want to play in meaningless games kids do not want to play in games where they don't really have a shot to win a national championship if they're going to be playing a postseason game they want to be playing they want to be playing in the playoff if not they just don't feel like they need to participate. They want they want to go work in the NFL because it's not worth risking millions of dollars to play what they consider really to be a scrimmage. So here's how you fix it. And if you're a college football traditionalist, you're not going to like this one bit, but it's the only solution I could come up with. And that is you take all these, these invitational kickoff games that we have at the beginning of the year. So you've got like the Chick-fil-A invitational, the All-State invitational, which is played down at Jerry World. I don't think there's anything played. Matter of fact, there's nothing played in the Rose Bowl. Uh, But you've got one that's played in Vegas. In fact, I think that's where LSU and USC are playing each other this year. But instead of doing these kickoff classics, you take the New Year's Six Bowls. Yes, we're only going to have six. Okay, we're wiping. Essentially, we are wiping out the bowl games. The 12 team. Once we start the 12 team playoffs, no more bowl games. And I also will tell you right now that I believe that Playoffs are going to creep from 12 to 16 teams. Don't be surprised if you see a 16-team playoff 
before the next few, before the next few years because the money is just going to be too much for these uh, schools and these conferences to turn down. The other thing is the bowl system has made the bowl system has gotten so bad that ESPN probably wants something that people are going to be more willing to watch. Now the ratings haven't been bad because we will watch bad football over no football. But are we going to pay attention to the bowl games when they're running simultaneously with the college football playoffs? That's what you've got to ask yourself. So the bowl system in my college football world, the bowl system is dead. It is done. As you know it, it's over. And I take the, the what we call the New Year Six Bowls and I play them on zero week. They're invitationals now. Um, if you want to have the kids down there for a week and still give them Xboxes and you know, take them out to Disneyland or Disney World if they're in the Rose Bowl or if they're in the Orange Bowl, that's fine. It's not a requirement, but you can do that. But essentially what we're going to do, or what I would do as college footballs are, is take the Peach Bowl and make that ACC versus Big Ten every year. But it rotates. So one year, yeah, you might get Michigan-Clemson. The next year, you might get BC-Ohio State. It's not a very good matchup for BC. Um, I do my best to try and make it as marquee a matchup as possible, but I'd want the conference tie-ins, and I'd I'd want teams like Minnesota knowing they're going to get a shot to play on this biggest stage. So you do a rotation with the Big Ten and the ACC. The Orange, my idea was was for the Orange, is that every year you're going to pit two former Big 8 schools against each other. So OU Nebraska... Missouri would be on a three-year rotation versus the other schools in the Big 12 that were a part of the original Big 8. So OSU, uh, Kansas State, Kansas, Colorado, Iowa State, they all get to participate in this as well. So every three years, OU would go to the Orange Bowl, and every three years, they would play somebody from the Big 12 or slash the old Big 8. and It should be a celebration of the old Big 8 conference. So that would guarantee you Bedlam for sure. Uh, The Cotton Bowl, I wanted two Southwest Conference schools to play in that one. So SMU would would never get to go to the Peach Bowl, but they would play in the Cotton Bowl, and they would be on a three-year rotation with Texas, or it'd be a four-year rotation with Texas A&M and Arkansas. And then they would play the the schools in the Big 12 that were from the Southwest Conference, uh, what did I come up with for the Fiesta Bowl? It was like, you know, Mountain West. <laughs> it was like Mountain West versus regional teams, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. And then the Rose Bowl was like Pac-8 versus Big Ten or, so, or something like that. But there's there are ways to iron this all out, but you just do it at the beginning of the year. You call it the Rose Bowl. It's not the Rose Bowl per se, but you're just calling it the Rose Bowl. You have it at the beginning of the year. On zero week, and then kids aren't opting out. And hopefully we get we can get some key matchups. The only problem I had with the Rose Bowl is that you're going to have to have some, some, some conference games to start the year off because Washington, Washington State and Oregon State would, would play in it because we're talking about Pac-8, not Pac-10. But then the rest of the schools that would participate, I think, are pretty much in the Big Ten now. Um, they would be the ones participating. So, yeah, you would have to have like a 
USC Penn State matchup, which probably to start the year, which probably doesn't thrill Lincoln Riley or or Franklin, but they can get over it because it's for the betterment of college football, and it counts towards your regular season. and And the committee would, you know, take a look at it. But and if you didn't go, if you didn't get invited to one of those games, or it wasn't your year in the rotation, then you can either start week one or you can start week zero, and you can schedule your group of five if you're Oklahoma. So you'll have a little bit easier path on the way. But that's just how I came to, to, to fix it. Because honestly, I think the bowl games are eventually going away. Once we get once the playoffs creep out to 16, I see the bowl games going away because they've just lost their relevance. And I don't saying that, I was reading Jeannie Carlson's article earlier this week about how the Pac-12 the, you've got a lot of bowl games that need tie-ins because their, their relationship with the Pac-12 is dissolved. Now, like the Vegas Bowl and the Alamo Bowl, and supposedly you could have Washington State and I guess Oregon State tie into them since they're, they're technically still the Pac-12, but the Las Vegas Bowl and the Alamo Bowl could become SEC versus Big 12, and if that happens, Bedlam could happen uh also sec versus big 12 in the houston bowl bedlam could happen there i do wonder if you're gonna travel to houston or las vegas or san antonio to watch oklahoma play oklahoma state i know some of you will because you'll just go watch OU play anybody anytime anywhere and that's cool i for the oklahoma state fans i don't know how they would feel about it I don't know if they would travel down to Arizona to watch a Bedlam game, but I am with John Shin, who I was talking to as we were coming out of the press box a few weeks ago. And that is, Bedlam not played in Oklahoma loses something. For most of you, that's like the Cotton Bowl. It's not like, it's like playing OU Texas in some place other than the Cotton Bowl. It loses something. OU Oklahoma State not in Oklahoma, that lacks a little to be desired. But still, it'd be fun. be a fun week of work. Talk about that game and all the hype, and who knows? Maybe it happens sooner than you think. What about next year? OU, Oklahoma State, and the Houston Bowl? You down for that? Nah, you want Oklahoma in the college football playoff, and so do I. If they're going to play, hopefully that game's <laughs> hopefully that game's down in Norman, and it's a playoff game. That wraps up this week's episode of the Sooner Scooter Show. We'll obviously be back with you next week as we start looking towards the 2024 season. For Oklahoma, and until then, may God bless you and your families. The great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Don Cornelius, love, peace, and soul.